You're listening to Unto the Earth, a podcast by Ethnos 360 Bible Institute in Waukesha, Wisconsin. I'm your host, Hadley Hageman. In the realm of philosophy, there's a branch called ontology, which studies foundational truths like existence, being, and reality. And within that field of study lies one of the most long-standing questions, the existence of God or a higher being. And to help us tackle that question today is Matt Zawada, who studies not studies, but teaches apologetics at Ethnos 360 Bible Institute. Thanks for joining us today, Matt. Thanks, Hafford. It is great to be here. And a uh, big shout out to your girlfriend, Katie, who's watching my kids right now so that we can do this. She is the real hero. She okay? is. She is. I'd, I'd agree with that. Uh, <laughs> I wish she was here right now doing the interview. I know. I wish she was here rather than me as well. So that's a good way to kick things off, you know? Let's get going. Yeah, let's just jump right in. Um, <laughs> So the topic is really bigger than we have time to get into yeah. detail. But for yeah. someone, for the sake of someone just interested or beginning to look into philosophy, what is a compelling argument to you for the existence of God or a higher being? Yeah. Well, the whole first off, the whole concept of arguments for the existence of God have always been like kind of fundamentally interesting to me. And I, I grew up in a Christian home. For me, the the concept of God was always assumed, but just like everybody at some point in your Christian walk, I wanted to go and kind of look into it for myself. Uh, it's funny. I was, I was one argument I've heard about the whole concept of arguments for the existence of God is that to, that the need to even present arguments for the existence of God is an argument against the existence of God where if God was really real, he would be so obvious that you wouldn't need to present argumentation. And it's funny because I would largely agree with that statement. The difference is that I believe the existence of God is so blatantly obvious as we understand reality that you shouldn't need arguments to prove his existence. Um, and the great thing is that there are lots of different ways you can talk about, you know, how do we know that God exists? Um, one of my favorite ones personally, although there's many that you we can talk about that I just find most personally interesting is the cosmological argument, which really is an argument for God from uh, universal origins, I would say. So essentially it's the concept of, you know, how do we know the universe? Uh, like how, how did the universe begin? Or like, you know, how do we explain why there's something rather than nothing, I guess is another way you could phrase it. Uh, and when we talk about arguments for the existence of for the existence of God, it's also important to note that there are it's not like there's one cosmological argument. There are groupings of arguments, and then uh, an argument. It's kind of like a black hole, you know. Like you got you got groupings of arguments for the existence of God, and then you have rebuttals, and then you've got rebuttals to those rebuttals, and you can kind of go down the uh, go down the rabbit hole, so to speak, and kind of never make your way out. So uh, for me, I found the argument for the for the cosmological argument for the existence of God, interesting because uh, I think where did it all start was the most interesting question for me, just philosophically. Well, we can talk about the we can talk about the you know, we can follow the train, so to speak, of like you know cause and effect events that lead us to where we are today. But for me, I wanted to know how did it all begin with? Like, who really cares in my mind if we figure out the processes that were used to get us where we are. I want to know how did it all start with. That was what initially piqued my interest about the cosmological argument. Um, and there are a couple significant uh, arguments 
in the causological grouping of arguments that I'll talk about. But uh, one of the biggest ones is the, the Leibnizian uh, causological argument. Uh, he was a German man. It's hard to categorize this guy. He was kind of like this. He was like a Renaissance man. He's written stuff on all these different topics. I actually have a quote here from somebody, uh, a late uh, French philosopher who said, when one compares the talents one has with those of, uh, uh, Leibniz, one is tempted to throw away one's books and go die quietly in the dark of some forgotten corner. No, oh, that's a beautiful quote right there. This guy was a genius. He was also a Protestant philosopher, uh, Protestant devout Christian, uh, and he wrote a lot about a whole bunch of different topics. And one of my, and then this specifically, this argument has really has been around since like the 1700s or 1600s, I guess. Uh, but it goes like this. Uh, anything that exists has an explanation of its existence, either in the necessity of its own nature or in an, an external cause. Uh, two, if the universe has an explanation of its existence, that explanation is God. Um, premise three, the universe exists. Therefore, the universe has an explanation of its existence. And therefore, the explanation of the existence of the universe is God. Um, here's what we know now. We know now, like there's, it's generally accepted um, in the scientific community that the universe had a beginning. We call that the Big Bang, but that wasn't always the case. It wasn't like we've always thought the universe had a beginning point. Um, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of discoveries we don't have time to talk about right now. Uh, one of them would be uh, Hubble analyzing you know light waves from distant planets and all this stuff. It gets really complex really quickly, um, but it's generally agreed upon now that there was a beginning to the universe. And that's beginning is generally called the Big Bang. Uh, the, uh, the big difference, the, the big conversation now when we talk about the cosmological argument is, you know, if you want to put it this way, where did the Big Bang come from, which kind of borders on nonsensical. If there's nothing before the Big Bang, then how do we get the Big Bang, the start of the universe and this, you know, explosion and universes and galaxies or, the, or galaxies coming out. And yeah, so... Um, that's, a, that's the Leibnizian cosmological argument. Um, and then the one I really go over in class, probably a little bit more in depth, because this is just an introductory class. And this one is uh, very, very simple, will be the Kalam cosmological argument, which is probably most closely associated with William Lane Craig, who's a famous uh, Protestant Christian uh, philosopher. But it's really simple. It's only three uh, points. It goes like this. Whatever begins to exist had a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe had a cause, and that's all it is—just three simple lines. And then from there, you'd have to you'd have to deduce, like, okay, what is this cause of the of the universe, and what characteristics could we determine about this uh, thing or entity that caused the the universe to begin? I guess. Um, so I'm gonna go through the three premises, and then you know, ask me any questions you have. I guess, but. Yeah, this is all like infinitely fascinating to me. Uh, premise one is whatever begins to exist has a cause. And this is kind of a self-evident statement. Like there's not a lot of things just popping out of nowhere. Like we, we, there's these cause and effects that we can trace for everything that we see. You know, this, this table is here because not because it just popped into existence because it was crafted, it was built, you know, there's like this, there's these effects that led to its being here right now. Right, I've heard the argument of like a watch. If you found a watch, you'd correct. assume a watchmaker. Yeah, correct. That's like one of the most famous uh, arguments. That would be a 
probably more of a tel teleological argument, ar argument from design. Um, that there is design in the universe and uh, the clock is a very famous one. But the reason, you know, we can look at the design in nature and conclude there must have been a designer of, okay. you know. Uh, so the first premise is whatever begins to exist has a cause. So things aren't just popping out of nowhere. Um, in fact, one difference is that the, uh, you know, Christianity has a framework for things like this. Things that, you know, happen without natural causation we call them miracles right, right uh and we do in christianity and i my personally myself do believe that miracles still happen today so it's not that we're saying that miracles don't happen uh really what we're saying is that the beginning of the universe is a miracle meaning it can't be explained by natural phenomena uh let's see here what else do i want to say about this um there are even objections to this premise and this is one thing i wanted to note really quickly there is no silver bullet argument for the existence sure. of God. There is no thing that you're going to say that has never been thought, like really have, probably has never been thought of before or doesn't have a whole list of rebuttals, you know. Uh, Tim Keller calls all of these things clues for the existence of God. So we have all these clues. Um, and I would, oh, there's a great quote from Norman Geisler about this. Let me see if I have it here. Yeah. This is a great kind of framework to work from when we talk about the existence of God. Uh, Norman says this, God has provided enough evidence in this life to convince anyone willing to believe, yet he has also left some ambiguity so as not to compel the unwilling. This is what we're talking about here. The question is, is there enough good evidence for somebody to take a logical or a evidence-based step of faith towards God and Jesus? And I would say overwhelmingly so, yes. Cosmological argument is one example of that, how, uh, you know, I think on a on a really like basic level, the cosmological argument makes sense because we go, everything needs a cause for it to exist. Uh, so the idea of there being this um, necessary being, we'll call him God, who exists necessarily in and of his own nature, who created the universe, that seems to make sense, I think, to a lot of people. Um, everything material that we know of, and I'll get to this in a second here, uh, has a, has a, has a origin point. So to say that the universe is eternal, and that would be one of the uh, one of the issues, uh, one of the rebuttals to the to the Kalam cosmological argument is the idea that the universe has always been, that the material universe has always existed. Um, but we'll talk about that in a second here, I guess. So all anyway, I'm kind of getting off track here, but the point is that there's no one argument that will that has ne there's no rebuttals for like it's just like this. We kind of live in the internet day and age where you want to like own people and like where's sure, the one argument sure. I can own all my atheist friends or the something? Easy answer. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't really exist. But there are really good clues and arguments for God. So if somebody were to tell me there's no arguments for the existence of God, I would say, well, that's not true. They may not as be compelling to you as they are to other people, but there are a whole bunch of arguments for the reason why God exists. And while as far as Christianity is concerned, we don't think you ne you don't think you need these to even have a rational belief in God. Uh, we're we're kind of meeting the world where they're at. Saying if somebody says I don't believe God exists, we can say all right. Well, here's all of these reasons why we think that's not true. Right, and ideally, like we can take the Bible to His word, at, at God's word, and and take it for surface value. But God's also created with us with rationality and and thought to be able to observe things in the world and make our own assessments of things, and hopefully. Yeah. And truly, like those things combine and 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 are, are parallel. What we read in the Word and what we observe in the world. But 
completely um, separated from the Word of God, like just looking at it in a rational way. You know, I think about it as conversations, like here's a proposition and here's the rebuttal. I think this is, this is kind of what you've been saying. There's no one answer. So what is yeah. probably the best argument against, or just a, some common arguments against the proposition that you've set forward? Here. Oh, yeah. Some arguments yeah. against what you said. Yeah, well, I guess let me finish my final thoughts on the Kalam here. But uh, first one was, whatever began to exist has a cause. We talked about how that seems to be evident from what we see in the material universe. Things aren't just popping out of nowhere. Uh, premise two says the universe began to exist. Um, and again, there's like scientific arguments for this. One of them, you know, would be like, for instance, the second law of thermo thermodynamics, which would say like the best way to, to explain this is if I go and build a cabin in the woods and I leave it there and don't expend any energy in its upkeep, it will deteriorate over time. So the reality is we can't create or destroy energy, um, but we can lose, uh, oh man, what's the terminology? We, like you, you can lose usable energy, if that makes any sense. It's like the easiest way I'm trying to explain this. Uh, so the idea is that if the universe had been eternal, we would have run out of usable energy by now if the universe had existed forever. Um, so what, we're, what we understand the second law of thermodynamics tells us is that the universe, in a sense, is kind of like winding down. Uh, you know, we're expending the usable energy until you kind of reach this like lukewarm, eventually, like if you want to talk about, you know, in the vast, vast future of the, the end, the end point of the universe is like this, energy soup where it's like all just like one level of like unusable energy. That's all it, the universe is kind of. So the point is that we would have gotten there already if that was, if the universe was already eternal. Um, let's see. Uh, so there's other, there's other things we could talk about. We talk about the, we talk about the expanding universe. We could talk about radiation afterglow or great galaxy seeds or all this stuff. But um, I think it's enough to say right now that there's great scientific evidence that the universe had a starting point And that's why that, hypothesis about the beginning of the universe is widely accepted amongst the scientific community. Um, philosophically speaking, uh, there's two kind of famous arguments that William Lane Craig gives towards the, uh, towards the beginning of the universe, why the universe isn't eternal. Um, one of them is that uh, the actual infinite doesn't really exist in reality. So the infinite exists in the theoretical, it exists in numbers and hypotheses and all this stuff, but the actual infinite, the infinite that is tangible in the material physical world doesn't really exist. So his, his argument, it goes like this. Uh, one, an actual infinite cannot exist. Two, an infinite temporal regress of events is an actual infinite. And three, therefore, an infinite temporal regress of events cannot exist. So <laughs> again, we're getting like more and more heady here. William Lake's Craig point is that, Craig's point is that you, there's nowhere that we can observe that there is an actual infinite in the, again, in the material universe. He would say that a, an infinite temporal regress, so going back in time, you know, regress of events, that is an actual infinite. Therefore, the idea that the universe is infinitely old is impossible. So that's his point. We can talk about, you know, I, we don't have time to go into like the rebuttals against this, but that's one philosophical argument he uses for the fact that the universe had to have a beginning and therefore must have a cause for its existence. Um, another, and then he goes on actually a little bit further, but his, his point is that the way you, if, if an actual infinite even existed, the way you get there isn't by sequential 
isn't through um, what it's called like sequential events or like it's not by adding one plus one plus one you know through infinity the point there is that if you're getting it through if you're trying to reach infinite through addition or sequ sequential events there's always something else you can add so if you're counting to infinity that's that's actually an impossibility because there's always more numbers to add so you've counted so far and then there's you can always add another number so you can't actually reach infinity by trying to count to infinity. And when we talk about the the existence of the universe, we're talking about a regress of cause and effect. You know, we're talking about a regress of events right. towards, you know, there's infinity. Well, we'd say that's not possible. Um, so those are just, yeah, again, you could go on and on and on about this. Um, his, the conclusion is therefore the universe had a cause. Um, and from there, uh, William and Craig has a, has a few things that he believes you can determine about what this cause must be. So we would say the material universe, everything we know in the material universe needs a cause for it to exist. So he would say, what do we know about this, this, this initial, the unmoved mover or the first, you know, the causer, whatever it is. Um, we know that it's immaterial. Uh, we would know that it is probably beginningless and timeless because space and time began to exist at the Big Bang. So we know that whatever caused this to begin must be outside of space and time. We know that it's changeless. Uh, I said, did I say immaterial already? Yes, I did. Uh, powerful, we look at the scope and the, the bigness of the universe. So it must be powerful. Um, and he says also personal. So, yeah, we could get, oh man, this is, all this is interesting to me, depends how far you want to go, but the idea is that a mind or an abstract object fits the necessary, like, it fits the bill. Because um, a mind is immaterial. Um, abstract objects do not cause or affect anything in the universe. So the idea is the two possible things this, this unmoved mover could be, could be a mind or an abstract object, but abstract objects don't affect anything. But minds, uh, minds do and essentially again you're getting more and more abstract here we right, don't have time right. to unpack all these concepts yeah. but uh i think it's i think you know our our main our main takeaway from something like this would be that i've been really really encouraged studying apologetics that at the highest levels of philosophy and thinking there are really good reasons why we can we can where we can believe in god and not just a God, but also the God, a God with the characteristics of the God that we see in the Bible, you know. Um, and this is what William Lane Craig uh, deduces in the Kalam cosmological argument is that, OK, there's really good reasons why, to, why we should think that the universe had a beginning and why the universe having a beginning would ne necessitate this kind of a being, you know, what we say, personal, uh, powerful, changeless, timeless, immaterial, um, uncaused, you know, like we can deduce all these characteristics about the God who created the universe just from, just from the, all these logical deductions. So, uh, if I wanted to talk about this at a really, at a really plain level, I would say like, we know the universe had a beginning. So what then? Like if there's, if the natural world as we know it, started at some point then the idea of saying either the universe created itself or the universe came out of nothing flies in the face of kind of everything we know about the natural world like it, it seems like there has to be 
a explanation for everything we can see, touch, feel, understand beyond the natural world. Uh, you know, that'd be like the most basic way I could kind of talk about the, the cosmological arguments is the natural world began. So if you're looking for an answer to why the natural world is here, you got to look outside of the natural world is yeah. kind of our feelings. That's an argument that I can understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like as far as rebuttals go, like there's lots, you, you could you, you could talk and talk and talk. Um, I would say uh, one of the things that, one of the big ones is why can't, so if we're saying that God doesn't need a cause for his, his existence. Why can't we say the universe doesn't need a cause for his existence either? Why can't, so God is the necessary being that created the universe. Why can't the universe itself just be necessary and conversation over? And it's because of those things we talked about, which is um, from what we understand of the material world and the, the universe is material. Uh, if we want to understand the material universe, things are winding down. They're not, they don't seem to be in this constant, in this consistent place of, you know, eternality. Um, you know, and there's like another another big, really, really common one, which is, uh, which it, depending on who you talk to, doesn't hold much weight, even in the atheistic community, which would be, you know, who created God? Like that is, does this really solve the problem for us? What about who created God? But from the Christian worldview, that's not really a question that is compelling to any believer because we believe that God is God is infinite as a part of his core characteristic. So there's no need for us to answer the question, who created God? Because we've always believed that God was never created, that, that he is the creator and created everything else. Right. So. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm thankful that like as our understanding and observations of the world, like it, it does line up with scripture and everything that you're saying, like I, I think back to Exodus when God reveals his name, like the self-existence one, existent one, I am the I am, which is also like God's personal name, with Israel. So you see the relationship and the high and holy exalted, like completely above us, both in the, in the same. Um, but just to close, I guess, what would be one recommendation for resources for someone who's interested in apologetics or That's philosophy? Um, I mean, one of the most, it's funny because I'm not sure if I would call it an apologetics book in a traditional sense, but one of the most famous books that, 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 that takes time to argue for the existence of God would be C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. And his, the whole, he calls it the law of human nature, but his whole point is that we know there's a God because of uh, the moral code that's kind of written on our hearts. And it's really accessible. It's to the test of time. You know, it, it's a, it's an older book. It's not ancient or anything, but it's an older book. Uh, I think it's really uh, well done. Um, I think I really love Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God. Uh, what I like about his approach is he is a pastor. So he approaches it not just purely from a scientific or you know, like a high, he approaches it at a really accessible level because he developed all his material trying to pastor his congregation, which is, um, um, which would kind of be more secular and diverse than maybe most churches are used to having. Uh, so, you know, Reason for God was very compelling to me when I read it in college. Um, let's see. Another one, if you want something a little bit more in depth, would be William Lane Craig's Reasonable Faith. It's also be like a little bit more, uh, might be a little bit more, a little bit deeper than maybe what some people are looking for. But I feel like uh, Mere Christianity and The Reason for God are both really accessible books that anybody, no matter where they're at in their understanding of apologetics or Christian theology, kind of pick up and start with and really enjoy and appreciate and learn a lot from. 
So those would be two books I'd probably recommend for somebody who just wants to start reading. And if anyone has questions, we'll just we'll just send them your number and you can answer all, all those, right, right? sounds good, cool. yes. Well, and uh, I hope that, I just want to say, I hope that I've explained these things, these this concept of the cosmological argument clearly. Um, there's, a, there's a lot to it and there's a lot to the arguments for the existence of God. So, you know, I, I feel like I'm still a beginner in my understanding of all this stuff. And, uh, and I will continue to grow, you know, as I learn and study myself. So yeah, if, like if it's, if it feels overwhelming to people, you know, just know that, oh, I've lost my train of thought. We should cut this part out. <laughs> One day our faith will become sight though and we won't have to worry about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Totally. So thanks for joining us, Matt. That concludes this episode on apologetics and the existence of God. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review. We'd again, love to hear your back, your feedback. Um, and if you're interested in learning more about Ethnos, visit their website and uh, click on their request information page to learn more. Thanks for joining us.